eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law this morning and cause the word of of God which is alive to live in our hearts by its power may we be instructed by its power may we be born again by its power Lord may we become alive to all that is true and pure and godly and right and may our lives be transformed The Apostle Paul said that we are to be transformed in our life by the renewing of our minds, to begin to think like you think. And our only hope, Lord, is to understand, to take in and follow your precious word. So open our hearts, we pray, in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. James Morrison, who happens to be the inventor of chloroform, that chemical that was used long before anesthesia was developed in its modern forms, was an amazing scientist and also a great man of God. When he was dying, one of his friends said to him, soon you'll be resting in the bosom of the Lord. But like many Christians, when it comes to that most difficult time of death, the passage to the next world is not as easy as you might anticipate. And some of the most fervent believers still struggle with this idea of going to glory. And Simpson was one of those, a godly Christian, but he said, I don't know if I can do that. He said, but I do know this. I think I have hold of the hem of his garment. I don't know if I can be in his bosom, but I have hold of the hem of his garment. Very interesting phrase. Where in the world did that come from? Well, it comes from Mark chapter 5. And I want to invite you to turn to this wonderful gospel story of the amazing power of Jesus Christ. If you've been tracking in our studies, you'll remember that Jesus displayed his power over creation when he stilled the storm and rescued the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. You'll also recall that Jesus had amazing power over the Gadarene demoniac. That is, he was able to calm that man and cause the demon to come out of him and set him at peace and at rest. And now the power of Jesus Christ is going to be evident over disease and death. In Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, uh, most likely over to the eastern side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Aren't those great words? A large crowd followed and pressed upon him. No matter how how great the crowd was, no matter how large, there was one face that stood out among all the others. It was the kind and confident face of Jesus Christ. And everyone was crowding about him and pressing around him, drawn to him 
like a magnet. And the scripture introduces us now to one named Jairus, who, according to his actual title, was probably president of the synagogue. He was the chief ruler of the synagogue, which means that he was not only a respected religious leader, but most likely rather wealthy. For in that day, to hold such a high position meant not only fame, but fortune. But he was a distressed father because his little girl was at the door of death. And if you read the same story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, you add a couple more important facts. Number one, this was his only daughter, and number two, she was about 12 years old. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus. I love his faith, don't you? If you just touch her with your hands, Come and touch her, and she will be healed, and she'll live. That's amazing faith. That's great faith. Just a touch of the master's hand, and amazing power is on display. And so Jesus goes. He always responds to those who plead earnestly. Let me say again, he always always responds to those who come to him in faith and plead earnestly. It may take you a while, but Jesus will respond. He went. And then the scripture says at the end of 24, a large crowd followed and pressed about him. Can't you see it? They're jostling for position because they want to get close to this Jesus. They're pushing and shoving and elbows. Have you ever been to a Michigan State football game? Especially when they're playing U of M. I'll never forget one time I was underneath the stadium. I can't remember if I was going to my seat or trying to get some hot chocolate. And I was going around a turn and I've never been this pressed in my entire life in a crowd. I don't think my feet were touching the ground, but I was still moving forward. And everyone's elbowing for position and shoving. They're not necessarily concerned about you. They're more concerned about getting to where they want to go. And frankly, it was like that here. People wanted a piece of Jesus. And it was quite a crowd. And so Jesus is going, and you can see it, can't you? The crowd is excited. They want to see another miracle. Can this guy do it? Some are saying he can't. Some are saying he can Heal a girl who's just about ready to die. I don't know, but I want to see this. And they're pressing, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops and said, who touched me? And if you jump down a little bit in the text, you'll notice that the disciples respond. This is verse 30. Jesus realized power had gone out of him. He turned around, and he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said, you see the crowd? How in the world can you say who touched me? Everybody's touching you. And they thought it was a ridiculous question, but it wasn't as ridiculous as it appeared. For Jesus said, no, someone has touched me, and he began to look at each individual face. And I tell you, the crowd was really interested now. Jesus was on a mission of restoration, and he's interrupted and no one was more concerned than Jairus, whose daughter is at the door of death. 
He doesn't want to stop. He doesn't want any kind of interruption. But there is one. And there's a really good reason for it. There's a woman in the crowd who touches Jesus. But not just with her fingers. With faith. And I dare say there are a lot of people who want a piece of Jesus and they want to touch him and they want to get close to him and they want to see him do amazing things but they don't touch him with a heart of faith. And that might be you. Let's look at this woman. We'll get back to Jairus next week, Lord willing, but we've got another miracle to look at. And it's a wayside miracle. That is, it's a miracle that takes place as Jesus is going to do something else. It's just kind of thrown in there. Go back to verse 25. And a woman was there. Notice her condition. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. That's interesting. She had had this hemorrhage, internal bleeding, just as long as the daughter of Jairus had been alive. And this woman had suffered, verse 26, a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had, yet instead of improving, she was getting worse. Now, now this is a very uh, understandable situation, this condition that she experienced in that she's suffering from some kind of serious illness. And it had been a long time. By the way, according to Leviticus chapter 15, she would have been ostracized by society because of this ailment. She would have been divorced by her husband because of her disease. She probably was living alone. She was suffering from a disease that, humanly speaking, was incurable, and she was financially broke. You and I kind of know verse 26. She'd spent everything she had on the care of doc, by the, under the hands of doctors and was no better. Now, I don't mean to put down the whole uh, group of physicians and all the doctors of the world because there are many great and caring doctors, but many people have experienced going to doctor after doctor after doctor and can't get any help. The only thing that happens is their finances are gone. I find it interesting that when you re read Luke's gospel, he doesn't mention anything about the doctors, but Mark gives a gentle jab. <laughs> the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, tells us in that day that there were at least 11 different cures for this particular illness, the issue of blood. Kent Hughes in his commentary says one of them was uh, to get the gum from Alexandria and mix it with some herbs and then some petals from the flowering crocus and bruise them all together, grind it into powder, and then mix that with wine and have the woman with the issue of blood drink it, and that will cure her. But if it doesn't, <laughs> and it goes on to 11 different ones, the second one is, uh, drink three pints of Persian onions that have been boiled in wine and say to the woman, arise from your flocks. And if that doesn't work, <laughs> set her down 
at the converging of two roads, have her hold a cup of wine in her hand and let someone come up from behind her and scare her. I thought that was for hiccups. And say, arise from your flocks. And if that doesn't work, we've got eight more to try. And every visit costs so much. And the poor woman, I tell you, she suffered continually from the disease. I like what one commentator said, the cruel medicines were far worse than the disease of that day. The wonder is not that for 12 years this poor woman could stand out against the disease, but against the doctors. And so she was discouraged and broke and ostracized and in pain and in hiding and Have you ever been there? She is suffering physically. She is suffering emotionally. She is suffering spiritually. She is suffering psychologically. I don't care what category you put her into, she is suffering, and some of you are in that same situation, and you don't know where to turn. What a contrast. Jairus is wealthy, or Jairus is wealthy. This woman is poor. He's had a daughter that's probably been healthy most of her life, and this woman has been in pain for 12 years. And yet she comes to Jesus for help. Every new day was another day of misery. But I want you to notice not only her condition, but notice her determination. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she heard the reports. That's why the large crowd was following him. And everyone was hearing from their neighbors and family. They heard in chapter 1 that uh, Jesus had healed the demon-possessed man in the synagogue of Capernaum. And that day, everyone in the whole region came to him, and the house was filled, and the whole town was there. She'd heard about that, so she ventured out, maybe for the first time in public, hiding with a cloak over her face so that no one knew who she was, and she found herself in the crowd, and I've got to think that this woman, frail because of the disease, was pushing her way to the front, not to be denied. That's amazing determination. It's kind of like Esther. Remember when Esther heard that all the Jews were going to be killed, and she was the queen, but yet to come into the king's presence without being invited often meant certain death, even though you were the queen. And Mordecai says, well, you've got two choices. You either go in and get killed or stay where you are and get killed because you're a Jew. And so what did she say? If I perish, I perish. It's just like the lepers who were outside of the the city of Samaria when, when it was surrounded by the Assyrian army and these lepers have a disease that's going to kill them, but they haven't eaten in a long time, and they're going to die first of starvation. And so they say, you know what? Let's just go out to the army. Let's go out and beg food from them. If they kill us, we will but die. And if we stay here, we will but die. So your choices are death or death. Just choose what kind. And so they ventured out determined and when they got to the army they found the camp was gone because God had sent all the army away and they went from tent to tent filling themselves with food well this woman said if I perish I perish if someone finds me out so what it can't be worse than it is now Jesus is my only hope 
And my dear friend, I want you to know that throughout the scriptures, story after story, paint the picture of humanity, all of us in desperate need of help. We are broken and bruised and suffering, and our only hope is Jesus the Christ. He's your only hope. You say, Pastor, I'm doing pretty well without him. Good luck. Someday you'll stand before him and Although your life might have seemed easy here, it will not be easy in eternity. No, you need him. You need him for this life, but more importantly, you need him for the life to come, for forgiveness of sins. So this woman said, I'm going. I can but perish if I go. I am resolved to try. For if I stay, I surely know I must forever die. And people don't come to Christ for salvation until they get desperate. And my prayer often is for those who reject Christ, Lord, make them desperate. I don't want to make them miserable, but I'd rather have them miserable and saved ultimately than enjoying life here with what they think is think are two tre- true treasures and then to be lost forever. She said this, Verse 28, she was thinking, I've got to get through the crowd and touch his cloak, his robe. If I just touch his clothes, his robe, I will be healed. Most Jews in that day would wear an outer cloak or robe. Sometimes on the bottom of this robe would be four tassels. And these were to remind them to obey the commands of God. Sometimes on a hot day, the robe would be thrown over the shoulder. And on a cold day, it would be worn to help keep in the heat. But almost every devout, godly Jewish man would wear this robe. She didn't touch his head. That would be irreverent. She didn't touch his hand. That would be too familiar. She said, if I just touch his robe, I will be healed. And I hear again amazing faith. You know, we sing that song, He Touched Me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. She was singing, I'm going to touch him. I want to touch him and be healed. And so her determination led to her cure. For the scripture says, verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped once she touched him. She felt in her own body that she was freed from her suffering. Something inside of her just let her know the pain was gone and she was healed immediately. She felt it through her whole body. With trembling hands, she touched the Savior's robe and with divine power, she was immediately healed and thrilled at the change. And then she quickly retreated into the crowd. Hopefully, not to be seen. Hopefully not to be noticed. I mean, that had been her lifestyle, isolation. She had retreated from humanity. That's the only way she knew how to function. And so once she got what she wanted, she thought, I'm just going to, again, be lost in the crowd and go home, but on my way rejoicing. But she didn't get too far because Jesus stopped the crowd and said, who touched me? You know, sometimes Jesus calls people out for a specific purpose. 
Knowing that power had gone out of him, verse 30. We don't know. Some, some Bible commentators believe that Jesus released the power. Others say, uh, no, it's the Father who heals, and the power just went out of Jesus. By the way, how much power did Jesus lose when power went out of him? Is it like a battery? You know, you use it for a few hours, and now you're down to 80%. You look at your cell phone, and I'm down to 25%. I've got to recharge. Jesus knew power went out of him, and yet he never lost any power. I mean, I don't understand it, but that's the only way it can be. He's still divine. He is never running on 80%. Now, humanly speaking, Jesus got tired, but this is divine power. He knew it fell through him, whether he released it or not, and he turned and began to look at all the faces in the crowd. Who touched me? Did he know? Divinely speaking, yes. Humanly speaking, maybe not. There are a few things that Jesus chooses not to know, like the time of his coming. The disciples are saying, you're kidding, right? Ask the question, who touched me? Everyone is touching you. No, someone touched me with purpose. And so Jesus kept looking around. Look at verse 33. Then the woman, now knowing that she was found out and there was no hiding, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, just like Jairus did. And she was trembling. The Greek word is where we get our English word tremor. She was shaking. Shaking with fear. She'd never been exposed before. Never made public before. And she told him the whole truth. What, do you, what does that mean? Lord, here's my story. I'm a broken woman who's had a bleed for 12 years and I have not been well. I've spent all my money and I'm poor and have nothing. I've lost my husband. I've lost my family. I've lost my friends. I have nothing. And I felt if I just came to you and touched you, I would be healed. She told him the whole story. Why? Why didn't Jesus say to himself, well, the woman just got healed. That'll be a secret between us. Why did he stop? Why did he make her a public example? Number one, because she needed to be encouraged and she needed to be instructed. Number two, he did it for Jairus' sake. By the way, if I were, or Jairus, if I were Jairus at this point, I'd be a basket case. I'm not a patient man. My daughter's dying. I don't care about this old woman. I want my daughter to be healed. Why are you stopping? But when Jairus saw the healing. Don't you think his heart was encouraged? He did it to draw out the woman. He did it to encourage the ruler of the synagogue, and he did it to encourage you and me that Jesus has the power to help you no matter what your situation is. By the way, he had to correct an error in her thinking. Did you see the error in her thinking? If I but touch his clothes, that's a bit ignorant. That's a bit superstitious, actually. And Jesus is going to make it clear that the thing that heals her is not his robe, but it's her faith. 
there is an interesting artifact in a temple in Turin. It's called the Shroud of Turin. You heard about it? It's supposed to be the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. And it's got an image of a crucified man, it appears. Now there's raging debate, and no artifact has been more examined by scientists than this one particular piece of, piece of cloth. Woven in an unusual way. It's old to be sure, but some say it's the work of an artist back in the 14th century. And others say, no, it's the actual burial cloth of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the science is divided. And I don't know if it's real or not real. I, I really don't know, but I, I do know this, that there are millions of people in the world who feel if I can just touch that cloth, I will be healed. So they go and they pray to it. And they can't touch it because it's under glass. And their hope is that somehow the artifact will bring healing. My friend, the artifacts can do nothing even if they were real. It's the power of Christ alone. But I love the fact that Jesus honors their faith even though it's ignorant and somewhat superstitious. Jesus never ignores the real touch of faith. It was Augustine who said the flesh is pressing about him, but it's faith that touches him, and he knows the difference. And so now notice in her confession, she tells him the whole truth. By the way, has Jesus ever called you out? <laughs> That's what baptism is. Jesus calling you out. Oh, maybe you were healed in secret, but he wants you to tell the world the whole story that you're a sinner saved by grace. He called her out and he calls us out because there's a world that needs to know that power resides in the risen Savior, whether it's over creation, whether it's over a demon, whether it's over sickness or death. Jesus has the power to heal. Look at verse 34, her comfort. He said to her daughter, the only time in all the scripture that Jesus calls someone daughter, daughter, it's not the robe. It's your faith. Actually, it's my power, but the thing that connects your condition with my power is faith. Faith is the empty hand that has nothing but says, I believe, and grasp the Savior. And by the way, it's not just a touch, it's a grabbing on. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And I love this. The original language actually says, go into peace. The Greek preparation into. Go into peace. Where had she been for 12 years? in agony, in confusion, in isolation. Now he says, I want you to go into peace and be freed from your suffering. By the way, that has a double meaning. I thought she was healed once she touched him. She was. Then why did Jesus say, go, you're freed from your suffering? Or as it says in some translations, be healed. 
Because there's a double meaning here. Not only did she receive physical healing, but she received spiritual healing. And I don't think it happens every time, but almost every time when someone has physical healing, there's also faith in the one who forgives sin. Your faith has healed you. You are free. And let this one story forever tell us. Let it be written on our hearts for all the ages to come that Jesus Christ is the only one who can give true healing and true peace. She went into peace. And there's nothing like it, the peace of God. Not like the world gives. The peace that the world gives is so shabby, it's so temporary, it's so fragile. We talk about peace in the Middle East, and I hope there is peace in the Middle East. Even before Jesus comes, I hope there's some kind of temporary peace, but whatever peace they have, it is just as fragile as the next fire from the gun. The DMZ, is that a peaceful place between North and South Korea? Well, there's a sense of peace until someone crosses the line and the bullets fire or someone gets a nuclear weapon and who knows what. Jesus said, my peace I give you. It's not like the world's. It's not temporary. It's eternal. It's, it's not just outward. It's inward. It's a peace that passes all kinds of understanding and examination. You can't analyze it. It's it's amazing peace. It's the kind of peace that accompanied the martyrs who went to their death in the burning flames. It's the peace of God. Forever let it be written upon our hearts that faith in Jesus Christ is the grand secret of true peace. Search where you want to. Go to as many doctors and Go to as many places of pleasure. You do whatever you want to do and you'll always be empty until you come to Christ. Eusebius, the church historian, tells us that this gentlewoman was actually from Caesarea Philippi. That's the northernmost town in Israel. It's the Old Testament town of Dan. And she built a statue there at her own expense commemorating the healing power of Jesus Christ. Julian the apostate, the Roman emperor who came into that territory and crushed everything Christian, knocked down that statue, history tells us, and erected one of his own on the very place where this statue was made by this woman. And that statue was struck by lightning and destroyed. I don't know if that's true, but I love the fact that this woman decided for the rest of her life she was going to proclaim to everyone she could find that Jesus saves. She could say, I don't know how, and, and I, I thought it was his robe, but it wasn't. It's the power resident in the risen Son of God and simple faith, not perfect faith, not even not even properly theologically informed faith, but real faith in Jesus. At the very beginning, it's genuine, it's real. It will later be informed 
simple, childlike faith in Jesus Christ. He always responds. Someone put the whole concept of faith into a little poem like this, kind of like writing out a check. This piece of paper in your hand declares to you that on demand, you $20 shall receive this simple promise you believe. It puts your mind as much at rest as if the silver you possessed. So Christ, who died but now doth live, does unto you his promise give, that if you on his name believe, you shall eternal life receive. Upon the first you calmly rest, but which is surest? Which is best? The bank may break, but heaven never can. Tis safer trusting God than man. Let's pray. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let me simply ask you the question, what is your condition today? What has been tormenting you? You're separated from God if you've never come to Christ. And maybe you've heard about Christ, but are you determined to come with a heart of faith? And are you determined to, to come to the Savior with faith and to trust Him, to touch Him? Oh, you can't literally touch the Savior, but you can touch Him with a hand of faith. Nothing in my hand I bring Simply to the cross I cling. I guarantee you, based on the authority of the promises of the word of God that never fail, that if you will this very moment say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, and you ask him to save you, he will save you right now, right where you sit, in the middle of the crowd. Be the one who reaches out to trust the Savior. And he will say to you, my child, you're healed. You're saved from your sin. And life will be forever yours. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to the truth of this message and this amazing story. In Jesus' name, amen.